Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. The poor boy, oh, this poor boy found himself all alone as he journeyed through the forest on his way to the land of Narnia. Now it was just him, Shasta, and his horse. And a dark mist fell upon the woods, the forest, as they were traveling through to the point where it was pitch black. You could barely see what was in front of them. The darkness, in fact, being in the darkness, made the young boy start to feel sorry for himself. It kind of gave him a, almost a dark feeling. For you see, He already, before going into the forest, thought very lowly of himself. He came from a very childhood. He grew up an orphan and he was raised by a very hard and very stern man who treated him as a slave. He escaped that life to try to find another one, only to run into trouble every single step of the way. Now, He's lost again, and he can't take it anymore. And so he begins to to, to feel even more sorry for himself, and he begins to cry, just the tears running down on on his cheeks there in the darkness that he finds himself in now. And it was then, as he was crying, that the boy felt something, just a sense that something was walking beside him. Now, he couldn't hear any footsteps, but he can hear them, or it, breathing. And the breasts were very large in this forest. It didn't sound like a small creature, whatever it was. And he remembers an old story from his childhood that giants used to live inside these woods. And so instantly he began to to feel like he was in danger and filled with fear and scared. And then the boy, right then he felt again, he felt the warmth of a breath, but this time on his cold hand. And so the boy picked up his pace. We got to get out of here. And so he starts to run and try to keep his focus on the edge of the forest, him and his horse, through the pitch darkness. And then he felt another breath on him. And the boy couldn't take it anymore. And so he finally mustered up enough courage to just say, just, just to whisper, just enough courage to say, who are you? And then a deep voice replied back, the one who has been waiting for you to ask. Are you a a giant? Yes, 
but not like you think. Well, I can't see you. You're not, you're not a ghost, are you? What have I done to disturb you? And then the boy, he felt the warmth of yet another breath on his hand again. And the deep voice replied, My boy, is that the breath of a ghost? And for some reason, the boy, when he felt that, when he got that response, he started to feel safe and secure for some reason. And then the deep voice says to him, Come now, tell me what's wrong. And the boy opened up to the voice. He tells him that, that he, was, he was the unluckiest of boys. You're not going to believe this. He tells him that he was an orphan. He was raised by an evil man, but he had escaped. Then he spoke of the dangers that he ran into while he was in the city of Tashban on his own. And then he talked about his nights when he was among the dead in the tombs. The beast that howled at him in the deserts. And then how, not only once, but twice, he was chased by lions. And on top of that, I'm hungry. And then a deep voice tells the young boy, you don't sound unlucky to me. You don't think it was bad luck to be chased by so many lions? There was ever only one lion, the voice replied. I assure you that there were at least two chasing me. There was only ever one. It just looked like two, my boy. Well, how do you know? For I was the lion. And then the boy paused and opened his mouth. And still, only seeing pitch black, he can't see the voice. Only the darkness there. And then the voice continued from the darkness. I was the lion who confronted you among the house of the dead. I was the lion who drove jackals from you as you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses new strength so that you should reach the king in time. And I was the lion who pushed the boat that you laid near death in so that you may be saved. And with no other words to say, the boy asked, Who are you? And the voice replied, I am myself. And then the dark mist that covered the forest started to clear. And the boy could now see what was always right in front of him this entire time. The voice there in the darkness in the forest belonged to Aslan the great lion of Narnia. Now, this exchange from the Narnia book, The Horse and His Boy, has become one of my favorite Aslan encounters in all of the series. A true picture that God's power and authority are always right in front of us, even if we can't see it. Let's pray. Father, we give this time to you now, studying in the word. Father, we pray that the, that, the, that the scripture itself jump off the pages. 
Lord, I pray as I always do that the words, the things that I've written, the things that I've studied are only your truth, your gospel, or not mine. If I say anything wrong, then Father, correct me here on the spot, not afterwards, but now. And that God, I pray that me and all of us here, that we undoubtedly have already been in your presence, that we know, Lord, that you are real. And I got this time, this moment here, I pray just as your servant to, to use, use the words you want us to hear, Lord. To teach us what you want us to know. To help us remember the things you want us to remember. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But by now, you probably have heard that we're having a holiness retreat. All right. It's coming up on March 3rd through the 5th. Special guests are Bill and Diane Yuri. And if you don't know that, you're in the know now. And I'm going to guess you might hear that again. You see, the focus of that retreat that's actually coming up in just a couple of weeks now is, well, you guessed it, on the topic of holiness. Now, so the next few weeks, what we're going to do leading up to the retreat itself, is that we, all of us, are going to kind of be doing our own series on the history. And really, what I'm going to kind of dive into is the timeline of holiness throughout the scriptures by examining specific moments in the Bible when holiness was brought to the forefront, when it was there without question that this is what this was, this topic was, what it was. It was holiness. We were in the presence of it, or it did something, it cleansed it, whatever it was. We're going to go through the Old and New Testament leading up into the retreats. And so today we start, as Jefferson already read for us today, thank you, Exodus chapter 3. And you did such a fine job with all the tricky names. I can tell you've done your homework. And so, yes, we're going to look at chapter 3 of Exodus. And we're going to be looking at a guy named Moses. And even, even though he was born a Hebrew, and we know this, he was born a Hebrew, Moses, he grew up as a child of Egypt, not of his own. His life, his life was spared during the mass murder of the Hebrew newborn males that were mentioned in chapter 2 of Exodus. When Pharaoh himself seeing how, 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 my, how, how many numbers were coming from the Hebrews, had made the decision, the executive call, that they will now then murder every, every newborn male from the Israelites, from the Hebrews. And how would they do that? Well, they're going to go and throw them into the Nile. Well, the Nile is known for its crocodiles. This is a terrible tragedy. Genocide, if you will. But Pharaoh had the authority and the power to do it, so he did and what we see here is that, that, that Moses, who, by the way, was born during that time, when that was an active law, an active rule, he was born during that time, was spared. His life was spared when his mother, his faithful mother, put him in a basket and used the Nile as a source of life instead of death and pushed him down. And then we know through the scripture is that, that Moses, the little basket case that he was, I guess, when he rolled into there, he ended up right before the, the actual daughter of Pharaoh, who 
on the spot, of course, the way we read the scripture, on the spot, agreed to receive and then raise Moses. Now, if that alone isn't a God moment, I don't know what is to receive it, particularly after that law was written, that, that your dad wrote on top of that, that you received the very child that your dad is trying to eliminate. But God had found, found either softness in our heart or whatever it was, but received him. And so he was able to raise. And then here, we see that Moses, according to the scripture, was exposed to his true identity at a very early age. It wasn't a kept secret from him. In fact, the scripture says that it turns out that Moses' mother, the one who put him in the Nile, actually worked for the queen's or for the king of Pharaoh's daughter in her courts. And so as Moses came out of the Nile, she called for her servant, which happened to be Moses' mother. Would you come and raise this child for me? Well, I suppose I will. I'll take him right off your hand. Thank you. And what we know through Scripture is that mom taught Moses about their people. But now what's interesting is when you read through the story of Moses, when you read through Exodus, it's not as if Moses became some, some mighty champion for his people, not for a little while. It says that here, that in accordance, in fact, when you read this in Acts chapter 7, it, it dives into this. It says that scripture says that Moses didn't even really give concern or visit his people until he was about the age of 40, 40 years old, before something, we know through scripture that God had done something to Moses' heart where he told him to go and see your people to go. And then we know that around the age of 40, Moses did just that. He followed God's instruction, and he went. He probably went into an area where he normally wouldn't go. There would be no reason for, for a prince of the palace to go into this area. But here he is now, probably well-dressed as an Egyptian clothes, going into a Hebrew area. And then what we see here is that when he went, Moses witnessed he saw firsthand the beating of a Hebrew, of one of his people. Well, maybe he's seen that before. It probably wouldn't be strange to see that. But for whatever reason, in this moment, when he, was, when he followed God's call, when his heart was prepared to solve whatever it was, he went into that and saw the beating of one of his own people, and his passion of anger got the best of him, and he went and actually killed the Egyptian guard that did it. Now, in a twist of events... You would think, here's Moses, God. Okay, I'm here. I, I see. Is this what you wanted me to see? I can take care of this. This is easy. I'm the prince. And maybe, maybe Moses went into that scenario thinking, well, am I supposed to be some deliverer or savior? Well, I can, I can at least save him from being beaten. I can do that. But in a twist of events, what we see in Scripture is that the, that the Hebrews, his own people, after he did this act, rejected him wasn't good job Moses you're on our side but rejected Moses for doing it in fact they said they, they, they showed anger toward him and said that we're going to go and tell dad we're going to go and let the Egyptians know that you have killed an Egyptian guard and so what we know from scripture is that when his own people rejected him and when Pharaoh was coming for him he was now a fugitive of the state and he had to leave. He had to go. And so then he went into the desert. And then what we see now is that with the thought 
that Egypt is now forever in his past and his rearview mirror never to be thought of or visited again. Moses settles in Meridian. And Median and becomes a shepherd. He goes from the palace that Moses here in this moment has chosen now to step down off his throne, away from his palace, in an effort to save his people, which have now led him into the deserts. This is what he gets. And then what we see where we pick up in Exodus 3 is that 40 years later, 40 years later, Moses, for these 40 years, from fleeing from Egypt and settling down and calling this new home his home, that for 40 years, Moses finds his place comfortably among the sheep. They're easy to maintain. They do what I say. And he finds his place among the sheep. Until one day, while tending the sheep, the thing he's been doing every day, something out of the ordinary took place. He led the herd this particular day to Horeb. There was a mountain in the region that they were living in. And it was there that Moses saw something in the distance. And it wasn't Major's magic. But he saw something that was out of the ordinary, something that wasn't normal. See, what he saw from the distance was that it appeared to be something very bright and illuminated, just really bright that was catching his attention. And as he went to go investigate and go in closer to figure out what exactly is this, what, 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 what am I witnessing here in the desert, as I would, my curiosity would get the best of me, and I would go in and figure out what, it, but one, he, what, what he saw, what he noticed, is that the bush wasn't bright, it wasn't a bright thing, it was a bush that was on fire. Now that's probably not uncommon in the desert, it gets hot. Like a lightning strike, we can, we can write off many different reasons why there's a bush on fire in the desert. But this one here, what made this one different is that as he stared at the bush, as he watched them either from a distance or a close, it didn't matter. As he was watching the bush, the darn bush just wouldn't burn away. It just didn't. It just it, it kept its form. It kept its greenery. It, the elements of fire were not affecting the bush. And so here now, this is when things got really interesting. Because one, the bush alone is enough. But then the bush started talking to him. Started to say things to him. Moses heard a voice from within the actual bush, say and call out, Moses, Moses. And probably still trying to grasp the concept that he's responding to a bush. He says, here I am. Here, here I am. And then the scripture. The scripture says that an angel of the Lord had appeared to Moses. Now, it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses right there at the bush. 
But when looking, if you actually take that, that phrase, angel of the Lord, when it says, when you're looking at the translation used right here to describe the person that this voice belongs to, that the angel, that the voice that Moses is hearing, and based on the scripture that we can read in John chapter 1, there is little doubt, there's little doubt within the biblical scholar community that the angel that appeared within the voice that spoke from the bush on this particular day was none other than the Christ. The Christ that has, has yet to come, that will step down from his throne as well, but also be rejected by his own people, but will bring deliverance and salvation nonetheless. That voice tells Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place that you are standing on is holy ground. And he tells Moses to do two things. That his first interaction with this voice is two things. He tells him to do not draw any near. Do not come any closer. And then he tells him to take off his sandals. So he stops Moses from getting any closer because Moses was now, but probably in the first time in his real life, now in the presence of of pure holiness. Pure holiness. But here, right, this is not the same. This is not the same thing as a man like me who is chasing after the characteristics of holiness. That I'm wanting these holy traits onto my life. That's not what this is. But here, Moses is in the actual presence of the source of holiness where it comes from. Because, because of our sinful downfall, because of, of where we are within our relationship to Christ, because of our sinful downfall, there is a distance between God and man. We're going to dive into holiness here. There is a distance between God and man, and not because of him, because of our sinful downfall. There's this, there's this gap. And even when the day comes, when the scripture says that we will be made perfect, and those who believe and call upon his name will be given that promise. But when the day comes that when we will be made perfect, you and I, even then, will never be equal to God. Not even in that moment. For God, see, see and even in that moment, God will be then giving us holiness. But God is holiness. He is the source. So he also tells Moses here to remove his sandals. Take those off. For it was, according to scripture, for it was holy ground. Holy ground. Now it's important to point out when we read the scripture here, when we tell the story, it's important to point out that the ground itself, the physical ground that Moses was standing on, was not holy. That's not what was holy. The ground was not holy by its nature, but by God's presence. That's what made it holy. You see, whatever God touches, whatever he touches becomes holy. Whatever he touches becomes holy. 
Because that is his nature. That is his nature. It's not ours, but it is his. So removing the sandals was an act of a servant. An act of reverence. Not for the ground, but for the presence. For the presence. Because it takes humility. It takes a humble soul to remove their shoes. Because it makes you feel exposed. It makes you feel vulnerable. And so here in Moses, when Moses took off his sandals, the voice quickly replies, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, why, why would he start off by saying, going through the roll call? Why listing all the ancestors when he's speaking from the bush to Moses? You see, when I read, when I study, is that when God would address this, when he would name himself through the ancestors of Israel, this was God revealing in this moment to Moses that he is the God of the covenant. He is the God of the covenant with Israel. I am the God of the covenant of Israel. This wasn't a new God meeting Moses. Brand new, right out of the bush. This was not that moment. But the same God that dealt with Abraham, that dealt with Isaac and Jacob. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His promises are binding and everlasting. And at this, when the names were given out to Moses, he knew who he was in the presence of. There was no question anymore. And at this, Moses did more than just take off his sandals. The scripture says he hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He didn't even want to look at him. He didn't want to turn his face to him. You see, God had only instructed Moses to do one thing, to take off his sandals. He said, that's what you need to do. But what we see, because that, that's the appropriate the thing to do in the presence of holiness. But Moses responded as a sinful man filled with shame. And so he hid his face. And that's how he chose to approach the God of holiness here. You see, this happens when we encounter true holiness. This happens. Oftentimes, it happens the first time when we encounter it. When we encounter the presence of God. What happens is that our hearts, they begin to fill with shame because our sin maybe for the first time, has become exposed. However, and hear me when I say this, it isn't your shame that God desires. He doesn't desire, that's not what he's after. Shame is a tool that Satan uses to try to keep you away from God, to keep us from turning our faces back to him. God did not say to keep your face off me. He told Moses to remove your sandals. But Satan will want you to turn your face away from him. Don't look at him. You're not worthy. You should be shameful. And so here we see that it is everything that Satan tells you that is shame in the presence of God is a lie. He is a liar. 
That's what he is. But here we see in the scripture that Moses turned his face back to God. And what was waiting for him is the same thing that's waiting for us. That when we turn our face to God, it's not shame that's going to be greeting us, but it's going to be freedom. It will be freedom with open arms embracing you and me into a more and holy life. A life of freedom. And so Moses, he received that freedom on this day at the bush. He received freedom from his sins, from his doubts, from his weaknesses. And in exchange at the bush, he was given wisdom, purpose, and strength. For it was Moses that we know after this encounter, who approached Pharaoh to say, let my people go. It was Moses who led the people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and toward the Promised Land. All while being, according to Scripture, in his 80s, when he did. Well, I'm not strong enough. Yes, you are. I can't speak. Yes, you can. I can't make the journey. Yes, you will. You see, the meeting between Moses and the burning bush, it shows us that God's holiness, now hear this, God's holiness is more than a set of morals. That's not what it is. We often focus on holiness, the word holiness, being a sign of a good moral person. I follow the rules. I check them off. I've got a bullet point list. I don't do that. I don't do this. I don't go there. And I don't see this. But that's not what holiness is. That's not what this holiness is. You see, God, His holiness, His holiness is bigger and much more rich than what you and I can put to definitive terms. It describes how God is the one and the only being with the power to create the universe, giving birth to life itself, defining being the authority and defining right and wrong, and being above all things. This makes him unique from anything else within our universe. And the word that is used to describe that is Holy. Holy. When God told Moses that the ground that he was on was holy, he wasn't saying that the ground that you're standing on is morally good. Moses, take off your sandals. But instead, what he was saying is that the ground that you are standing on now, in my presence, at this moment, is above all other pieces of sand within this universe because I am on it. I am here. And God's holiness is like the sun. It is unique within our solar system. It is powerful. It is the source of life. Anywhere that the rays of the sun touches are under its care. The sun is good. However, Despite it being good, it is also dangerous. The closer that you get to the sun, the more dangerous it becomes. 
if you're not prepared. Now the same could be said of an all-powerful God of the universe, of our relationship with God. And as I have studied Scripture, and as I've read through the Old and New Testament, and I've studied the words of holiness, and I've dived in and, and to see exactly the characteristics of God that he's calling upon us to live, I see that if we, you and I, the creation, are impure, and if, if God was to give us his undivided presence, his physical undivided presence, that that would actually be harmful to us. We see that in Scripture. Not because, not because he's bad, but because he's so good. He's so good. And if God is too holy for his creation, then what do we do? What do we do? You see, this is, this is what separates him from all the other gods. Is that all the other gods will say, that I'm in my rightful place. You bow to me. You follow me. It's me, me, me. And the question is, for us as creation, to the God of the universe, what do we do? And the answer, my friends, is nothing. Nothing. But thankfully, we serve a God who didn't do nothing. For God so loved his unholy creation that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish when standing in the presence of God. So what do you need to let go today? What do you need to let go right now in the presence of a holy God? We usually, particularly if we're speaking of God, we really lay heavy on, of course, salvation because it's for everybody. It is for everybody. But for those of us disciples who have been in faith for a long time, there is more to God than the starting line. God wants a richness for us, a life that is deeper than just surface level. And how do we get there? Well, we chase after his holiness. We chase after him, his character. We pray that it falls on us. And it starts with what do we need to let go. Maybe a better question. What has a hold of us that isn't letting go? I'm not in control of this anymore. I, I can't actually say no to it anymore. 
just a simple thought, and it controls me. My every move. What sin needs to be burned off? That needs to be placed on the altar. I don't want it anymore. This isn't coming home with me today. And what doubts, what doubts are holding you back from experiencing freedom? To turn your face back toward hell. I invite you to come and pray. To spend time with him. And perhaps all of us can go and be in the presence of God standing on holy ground. On holy ground. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.